NBA Hybrid Podcast brought to you by Jalen Utsi, Kyle Stein, and me, Michael Kimball. We are at our last division preview. We're at the Pacific with the Golden State Warriors, who everybody considered the presumptive favorite last season. It did not pan out. What do the Warriors need to do to get back to that level? Jalen, I know you love the Warriors. What do you think? If I could turn back time. That would help. Yeah. Um, can we go back to, what was it, game game five or game six before Clay Thompson tore his ACL, um, before KD tore his Achilles? Um, since since we are not Thanos and we don't have the time stone in, at our disposal, uh, the Warriors might be in trouble. So they've got two Hall of Famers on the team that are healthy in Stephen Curry and Draymond Green. Um not according to Michael Jordan, but uh, according to every know? other rational thinking human being. He might call them Willie Cauley Stein and Eric Paschal. <laughs> yeah, you'd never there know with two, Mike. In any case, there are two guaranteed Hall of Famers on this team. Who will it be? D'Lo. There's definitely three, but. Yeah, there are three. <laughs> there are um, a minimum of three. There could be four. I see four here. Well, there was a fourth, probably, but he got traded. There's a new fourth. You Russell? don't like it? No. You don't see it. I Marquise don't. Chris. You don't think he ever gets there, D'Lo? <laughs> no. Why not? Unless the Warriors win three more championships. That's his only that's his only chance. That jump D'Lo made last year, you don't see more potential there that fits with the Warriors? Um I mean I would have to look at his numbers more closely, but here's one number for you, Jalen. Twenty three years this one old. out just for you. D'Lo shot thirty nine point four percent on catch and shoot threes. You like it? That is correct. I do like that. So, I mean, that leads us into... Age 22 season. That leads us into a good discussion. So, D'Angelo Russell's bread and butter is the pick and roll. And people would argue it's exclusively when the other team doesn't switch because he lacks the elite athleticism to beat switches when the switch involves an athletic three or four man for the opposing team. That being said... You know, he can whip passes all around the court with either hand. He can make the pocket pass and the pick and roll. He's a good lob passer. Um, He's a good hit ahead passer. Uh, He's got this um, lefty awkwardness to his game that throws defenders off. He's got great touch. Um, I think he was one of the best mid-range shooters in the season last year, and I His think that was developed too. Yeah, I think that was a large part of the jump that he made. You know, I don't think he's ever going to be able to get really easy shots. So I think I like to think of yeah. greatness in in sport in general, in any sport, as uh, you sort of make the game look easy. You get easy shot opportunities in basketball, i.e., like LeBron gets to the rim at will. Uh, those are the easiest shot opportunities, and the fact that he's so large and athletic means that they're easier for him than they are for other people. So D'Angelo Russell is not that. He's going to have to take uh, mid-rangers. He's going to have to take floaters. Uh, but playing with Steph Curry, and, Steph Curry and Draymond Green should help him. It should lead to more catch-and-shoot threes. I think um, in the 73-win season for the Warriors, uh, Steph Curry actually upped his catch-and-shoot threes, which is ridiculous to think about considering he was already widely considered the best shooter in the game. So Steve Kerr definitely knows how to use off-ball movement and leveraging gravity to help not only his best players but their teammates. So I think there's plenty of opportunity for D'Angelo to have a successful season. Uh, the only question is whether or not um, it all works out to uh, lead to a playoff berth for the Warriors because outside of D'Angelo, Steph Curry, Draymond Green, 
and Kevon Looney, there are a lot of question marks on the team. Yeah. So that's that's what I would say. Yeah, there are, there are a couple really huge questions. Um, Kyle, I'll let you pick either the three or the five. Which one do you th- – it's a mess at the three and the five to some extent on the Warriors. Um, who do you like at the three? Who do you like at the five? I want to talk about a couple of big questions with the Warriors that f- – factor into the three position. Um, first of all, um, after all of the bad things that happened and after all the bad looks that the Warriors had with KD and Clay going down, I thought it was um, a really classy and big move um, for Bob Myers and the team to um, get that new contract for Clay at a max right at the beginning of free agency. Um, and it was, but they had to. They absolutely had to. Um, but I bring that up because if D'Angelo Russell is on the team, you have to imagine that when Clay comes back, he slots in as the starting three. And if he's not, and if the, the plan is not for that to happen, if, if it's for him to go back and be their shooting guard, then we'd expect them to trade D'Angelo. Is it, is it to the, the Timberwolves. Is, to the Timberwolves. But I mean, is, is it December 19th or January 15th? I can't remember which time he can be traded, but um, you'd imagine that it would happen relatively quickly right. um, around that time when a team this year might be very anxious to get him. Um, in the meantime, they have... Um, they have possibly Alec Burks. Um, they Injured. are right. They are right now playing um, Glenn Robinson the third, which uh, seems silly when it does not seem to be working. Um, and you know they, they seem to like. Um, I don't know how to say his last name. I may screw this up. But the rookie Paschal, Pascal. Pascal. Yeah. So um, he's a 3-4, um, but they've liked the minutes they've seen from him, and he's had some pretty productive, efficient lines. Yeah, I think that he's generally been considered more of a power forward. Um, yeah. I actually thought that he could play the five um, for them as well. <laughs> he and and he <laughs> has been slotting in in that position. When, he was, has some backup. There. When yeah. Looney Looney's just always injured, it's really a kind of sad thing to see, um, especially for me because I drafted him this year um, in fantasy. I'll take him if you want to trade him. Um, I know you will. Okay. I, we've, we've talked about this. <laughs> um, but, you know, they're, they're, they might actually be as wanting at the three position as the Wizards. And the Wizards have a historically bad wing rotation. Um, you know, and uh, so... I don't know. That's just to say I don't know where you go forward from here, and yeah. I don't know how you even patch it together um, with the amount and, and great talent they do have to surround that position and make up for its flaws. It's, it's, it's a really difficult question, and the other thing we need to say about the three before we let it go is a mention to Alfonso McKinney, who I feel very sorry for, from going to a starter to being knocked off the team by Marquise Chris in that 15th spot, went from being a starter to not being on a team. I'm assuming somebody's going to pick him up as a wing uh, and be happy to have him. Maybe the Clippers, maybe the Rockets. Could be a whole host of other teams that might be interested, but um, that poor guy got the shaft on that. We Uh, didn't mention Smilagich yet. Maybe he turns into something. People seem high on him. They like him. They like him. I don't know if he's there yet. 
So, so I think the problem the problem for the Warriors is that Kevon Looney is injured. He, he seems to have this recurring hamstring issue. Uh, Smiley Juke is injured. He has an ankle injury. Alec Burks is injured, who has an ankle injury. Willie Colley Stein, I think, has a foot injury. So yeah. the <laughs> players that they do have on the roster are injured, and the rest of the players who aren't injured are rookies like Jordan Poole and Eric Pasco and uh, second-year players, I think, uh, second- or third-year players in Jacob Evans. I can't remember if this is a second- or third-year. Um, so, yeah, they don't have a lot of experience, and they've also got Chris, who's another young guy who's bounced around the league a lot. So they don't have a ton of experience, and, yeah, I mean— And zero cap flexibility to get anybody Zero else. cap flexibility. They're hard cap due to the, due to the D'Angelo Russell sign-in trade. So— um, what I would say is if you're a Warriors fan, you should be on body language watch this season. Um, we've known Draymond Green to be a bit combustible, and I can imagine playing with a bunch of young guys that keep making mental mistakes and aren't playing defense very well will be very frustrating for a guy like him who prides himself on defense and effort. Um, so how he reacts to these sorts of mental lapses is going to be very important. You know, how he and Steph Curry react is going to be very important. Do they just sort of take it as a challenge? Do they agree to go harder than ever in the regular season? Because they essentially haven't had to play extremely hard in the regular season because they've been so talented. They could show up when they wanted to. They heard they heard uh, the talk that the Nuggets were better than them last year, and then they beat them by like 30 points and set a record. So, that that's no longer the case so that's going to be very important and then I think we can't really talk about the Golden State Warriors without talking about the sign and trade for D'Angelo Russell and whether or not yeah. that was a good um move and I mean I'll I'll pass it on to you to to you two so I don't like dominate the conversation but yeah what are your thoughts on that move I like the move a lot more than Kyle does I think um I I like Russell there I like that they got value back um, for Durant when he could have just left and that was it. Um, they had to give up two picks for it. And that's usually yeah. usually when people pan this trade, it's not that they got back Russell. Um, I think most everybody is pretty high on Russell. It's that you would have eh. to is that you would have to give <laughs> up two first round picks to get him because one of them had to be traded with Andre Iguodala to the Memphis Grizzlies. And then a second one was, you know, the one that you would generally factor into the trade. Um, I think is, they gave up two picks to Brooklyn. Oh, so it's two to Brooklyn and then and one to, and one yeah. to yeah, it was three because total, I think I it think. was only one pick. And then Kevin Durant did his Kevin Durant thing and was like, one pick, that's a not enough. I'm better than that. You'd have to include another pick. So that's 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 what happened. Well, it helped the team Ke- he was Kevin going Durant, to. Kevin Durant, Kevin Durant <laughs> going out, like it, it just feels a little grudgy at that point. Um, I don't mind it. Yeah, Kevin Durant gets whatever he did. Like, 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 give him as much as you can give him. The guy is that good. Since since Kevin Durant is Warriors adjacent, and we're talking about the Warriors, I will say, I've changed my opinion on Kevin Durant. Um, making fun of him is. Um, all the rage on the internet these days because he's always responding to writers or 12-year-old critics in his DMs on Instagram (laughs) and Facebook. But this is what I would say. We need to cherish Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant is maybe the most authentic athlete um, in sports today, maybe outside of of Marshawn Lynch, who's retired. So he, he may be the top one. And I say that full well knowing knowing full well that he doesn't always tell the truth and he fudges fudges the narrative a lot of time when he talks but even when he's lying to us 
it's so authentic and it's so obvious that he's being himself. I mean, it's he, so human. Yeah, he just he just did this interview with um with Serge Ibaka on how hungry are you? And Serge Ibaka is like, um, yeah, they they ate snake. He made snake for him because Serge Ibaka is like. Snakes don't eat snakes, so if Kevin Durant was a snake, he wouldn't eat snake. And Kevin Durant is like, I'll be a snake today. I, I don't care. I'm not eating this snake. He eventually ate it. But all that to say, cherish Kevin Durant. Go watch that. That uh, I think it's a BR. You can find it on YouTube, Serge Ibaka and Kevin Durant. He's sliding Nick Nurse in the interview. He's saying Steph is a better shooter, which is true, and a better player than Russell Westbrook. He's praising Kyrie. He's doing all the Kevin Durant things, and you know that like it, it is it is even hard to decipher between the lies and the fudge narrative you can see pretty plainly to it kevin durant is authentic and and authenticity is something that we don't have enough of in this society but how is that a reverse on what you felt before i, I feel like he isn't this how you've always making felt? fun no th- this wasn't how i always felt i feel like i didn't once he moved to the Warriors, I saw him up close because I follow the Warriors pretty closely. So I read all the interviews. I read all the Ethan Sherwood Strauss pieces that he had problems with. I saw the interactions and the videos. Like, I thought Kevin Durant was really good, but I was just like, why is he so, like, unhappy and all this? And then once he got there and I saw it up close, I'm just like, I can't remember who had this tweet. Um, but it was like, Kevin Durant is just like all of us. He's deeply insecure and like never satisfied and like we should love him for that and i think that's true (laughs) so a couple of last notes on the warriors before we move on if you've drafted your fantasy team and you're in a terrible unwinnable spot like i am watch the threes and the fives at the warriors see who takes over that position who holds those minutes uh you may find some value there i'll be watching and one last question about the warriors Jalen, Steph Curry's a free agent in 2022. Is he going to be with the Warriors after this terrible three seasons they have coming up? Or is he going to be somewhere else? Well, it would have been fun to say he was going to be a Charlotte Hornet. But then (laughs) (laughs) the owner of the Charlotte Hornets came out and said he's not yet um, a Hall of Famer. So that seems less likely today than it was a few days ago. I really have no idea. I would imagine that Steph Curry wants to stay with the Warriors for the entirety of his career, but, you know, crazier things have happened. And I guess as far as fantasy, um, I would say of the people that you're watching to see who takes over the three and the five, I would definitely watch Eric Paschal and Marquise Chris. I think they have the most talent there at those positions. Um, Jordan Poole, upside on both. Jordan Poole can shoot, but he's a very bad defender, and I don't know if he's going to provide in the – provide you anything else uh for your stat line but i think the shooting is real so if your team's good enough and you're in a really deep league maybe if you need threes you can look at him all right moving on to uh last year's second place team in the pacific the la clippers um one of the two much talked about la teams right now the clippers are uh Everybody's presumptive favorite who seems to know basketball. All of the money in Vegas is actually on the Lakers. Um, we watched the Clippers and the Lakers. The Lakers looked like trash. The Clippers were kind of amazing, even without PG. What happens when PG comes back? Does that second unit get even better than what we've already seen last year and early this season? How far can this Clippers team go? I kind of love them right now. Yeah, so if you haven't noticed, um, Kyle Stein is a Lakers fan, Jalen Utsi is a Warriors fan, and Michael Kimball is not a Lakers fan, and none of us are are Boston Celtics fans, so 
<laughs> just, just, <laughs> just if you're following along at home. There's the cheat. Well, sheet. let's be, let's be clear. <laughs> I'm a LeBron fan. I follow LeBron Fair. wherever he goes. In fact, I've never really cared too much for the Lakers. I grew up a Pistons fan. I grew up watching my bad boys Pistons lose to the Lakers in '88. And uh, and I, you know, as much as I love magic at that time, I really couldn't abide it because I, you know, I was a big Pistons fan and it carried through for a long time, Um, carried through almost as strong as my dislike of the Spurs after that 2005 series, which was also really hard to to sort of move on from for a a Pistons fan. So that's just to say, no, no, that's very new age, new agey of you um, (laughs) to root for a specific player, even once he changes laundry. I too am mostly a Steph Curry fan. And, and it, I also like Draymond Green, but I'm mostly a Steph Curry fan. I follow my favorite players wherever they go. And I think that's what younger viewers do. That's but why. I do both. I'm still I'm I'm a big Pistons fan well, and remain it, so and it, forever. It simply makes sense though. There's more player movement yeah. and there's more player movement at the star level. Mm-hmm. So it, yeah, yeah. Bandwa- bandwagon fan hate is stupid. Also, like, st- let's just stop this. The pure revenue for the NBA and those jersey changes. Like yeah. can't sleep on that either. I thought you meant something different by bandwagon fan hate because. I am a bandwagon fan hater, as in, like, I don't hate the fans, but I'm a bandwagon fan who starts to hate teams as just a, <laughs> a way to make the, the league enjoyable to me. No. It's, it's not always the Celtics. I actually really liked the KG years. It's it's what happened to the Celtics when they thought they had already won a championship because they fleeced the, 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 the <laughs> Nets, you know? And so kind of in this whole era, I've just not wanted to see them – be right and they haven't been and it's been really gratifying um yeah I hated I, my celtics my whole life it's never changed it's never going to not change it goes all the way back to them playing against the sixers back in the 70s and 80s like it and, and then the lakers when magic was there early because i followed magic from his michigan state days out to his la days um, I hated the Celtics, and it's really easy to, to continue to hate them. Like they keep giving me reasons. Yeah, I've never been a huge Celtics fan. The Lakers fan. keep giving you reasons? no. The Celtics. The Celtics. Keep I mean, me um, yeah. I'm. I, I I was referring to your Nets comment. Yeah, was, was all there. Yes, so. of course. I I I didn't follow you there because my mind was like, why aren't we talking about the LA teams here? And then I realized because there's not really too much to say about the Clippers. They're just really good. Um, they're the team that's going to be most interesting to us come the playoffs, and I don't think is going to give us a ton of questions until we get there. They have so much much depth, um, so much scoring, so much defense. Um, they look right now, if I was going to project it out, I'd say coming into the season, I thought maybe their their ceiling was like high 50s. I'm like already saying maybe mid 60s as like, if they don't have a, you know a slew of injuries that they have to deal with, they might kind of roll to 65 wins pretty easily. They look that good to me. One of the questions I wrote down before the season started was, can Kawhi win a third championship with a third team? We've watched two games. It's really easy to say yes to that question now, so I'm not even going to bother to ask it. Um, but one of the things um, I'm seeing this year uh, is is – you have a first unit for the Clippers that is now just amazing with their top-end talent, just Kawhi at this point. Who knows what it's going to look like with Paul George there. But their second unit looks even better, too. And I know, Jalen, you love this second unit here. 
Yeah, I mean, Lou Williams, it's hard not to like Lou Williams, um, depending on what your feelings are on non-monogamy. He famously had two <laughs> girlfriends. He also famously gets buckets, uh, regardless of circumstance, comes in and cooks whoever's in front of him in the second unit. I mean, last season in the playoffs, he was like, oh, yeah, bring bring Kevin Durant over here. Bring that 6'11 dude <laughs> over here. I'm thirsty. I'm hungry. Uh, but that's barbecue chicken. He was just giving Kevin Durant bu- buckets. I mean, it's crazy. And it's just so casual, too. It never seems like he's he's even trying. So Lou Williams is a man. Montrez Harrell is a man. Uh, I like Jermichael Green. He's shooting the three pretty well to start the season. Mo Harkless is a guy who's a great defender who hasn't shot the well, as we talked about with the Portland Trailblazers. So I think the scariest thing about the Clippers is that they have depth, but they have quality depth. You know, they have guys who could be starting in Landry Shamit and Lou Williams and Montrez Harrell. And the only reason they're on their bench is because uh, some of them have defensive uh, deficiencies in the case of Harrell and Lou Williams. But those guys would still be starting on a lot of other teams. So, I mean, the Clippers are stacked. And I don't know if I'm ready to say they're going to win like 67 games, but... Uh, because I, I do think there might be some sort of um, load management and injury issues here between Kawhi and Paul George. We've seen Kawhi sort of rest, although he does see, it does seem like he wants to play more games this season. So along those lines, I would say if Kawhi plays like 70 games, he might surprisingly be in the MVP conversation, which people were very much underrating this year. And I think a central part of that will be the fact that um, he's averaging seven assists right now. It's only two games, but I think if you asked um, smart, tapped-in NBA people, they would all agree that the greatest weakness in Kawhi's game would have been his passing and playmaking um, and the speed and tempo of that playmaking, whether or not he sees uh, the pass out of a double team or the pass before the defense rotates quickly enough. And that seems to all be gone right now. He's running the pick and roll with Zubach and Harrell. He had nine assists, which uh, matched a career high against the Warriors. Now, the Warriors' defense is probably not very good. But, it looked easy, But though. still, you know, so, I mean, I think if Kawhi is going to keep this up, if Kawhi is going to average 25, 5, and 7, 5 rebounds and 7 assists, he walks into like the orbit of like playmaking ability with guys like James Harden um, and LeBron James, and and I think that's been the biggest difference between LeBron and Kawhi is is um, I mean LeBron still gets to the basket more often, finishes better, but he's always been a much 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 better playmaker. And if Kawhi is bridging that gap, I mean he may just be an unstoppable force this year. Yeah. Can can I? Just- Almost every year we have some team that gets into the 60s and, and you know, low 60s and wins. Um, and obviously if they're really special teams, they'll get into the, you know, mid to high and as the, the, the Warriors did into the 70s. Um, every year, though, Vegas projections are basically for all the teams to be in the sort of mid 50s. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I just think some team this year is going to break 60 again. Mm-hmm. I think it like there is a fair amount of parity, but I still think that teams tend to separate themselves. And looking at the depth in the Clippers, they're my odds-on favorite as the team that's going to somehow crack 60 wins. And I just think from what we've seen, even with Paul George out, I think that they could do it relatively easily. I they think can. so too, because that second unit is going to keep them in every game. We watch them open up behind. And I, then that second unit brought it back, and then that second unit took the lead, and then the game was over. Yeah. There are moments when I'm looking <laughs> at their depth chart where I imagine the starters disappearing, and then the the starting lineup becomes the second group, and then I'm like, they still have a better bench than the Wizards. 
because the first unit's on the bench. I'm just joking. No, no. I so, meant that they're no, off no, the team. I got you. you imagine no, I them agree. off the team. We, we, you still have like Rodney Magruder coming off the bench on their team, which is still better than any like wing besides Bradley Beal. Well, like, um, Terrence on, Mann showed great flashes. He hasn't even. I don't know if he's seen the court yet. I nope. think he did. In, he hasn't. Okay. He hasn't like, because <laughs> I was gonna pick him up in our league, and he just hasn't sniffed like, the court. He looked great, and yeah, he hasn't gotten there either. One last Clippers note for Kyle. Chauncey Billups is going to be a near full-time broadcaster. You listening? Oh man, Chauncey, why you got to do that to me? <laughs> he did ten. He did ten games last year. Yeah. Did you know that? Uh, for the Clippers? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't realize it. So he was obviously he was um, doing it for ESPN for a while, yeah. and that's great. Um, good for him. Um, you know, I I love Chauncey. I I'll, I'll listen to him anytime. Um, the Clippers aren't. You know, when I'm rooting for LeBron this year, um, they're not like high on my priority list of teams that I want to just see like. Go, you know, I'm just gonna go see them shellac whoever on any given night. I mean, probably I'm gonna want to watch uh, the Kings lose, um, as opposed to the Clippers win. Um, I'd rather watch just the just, Kings win. Well, obviously, but I'm saying I would almost <laughs> prefer to watch the Kings even lose than the Cl- Clippers win. It's fun. It's fun when they're losing. They play even faster when they're losing. It's one of the great <laughs> things about the Kings. So before we completely move on, I mean, it feels like both of you are kind of picking. Maybe intentionally or unintentionally, you're picking a sort of emergence of Golden State Warriors level dominance for this Clippers team. I mean, cracking 65 is different from getting to 68 plus, but if the Clippers win 68 games, we're talking about historic outlier area statistical historical outliers. We're talking about and we're talking about recognizing that that would be very good, but not in those like high Celtics the the Pistons got into one of those like 60 you know 68 I think it was almost or 66 67 I think it was yeah, before the 72 high two. yeah um, yeah I mean I know the I think San Antonio has won they won 62 games not too long ago the Bucks won 60 62 last year um, yeah, somewhere around yeah, there yeah. so I mean yeah teams teams crack 60 and they get into the low 60s when they're really good and I think for the Clipper, the Clippers getting to 65, I think would be a lot scarier than the Bucks doing so, just because uh, the Clippers have two of the best wings in the league who should be great in the playoffs. Um, whereas, uh, you know, Chris Middleton is really good, but he's not on the level of Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, um, and and so the 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 Bucks only have one player of that caliber and right. a bunch of quality shooters and a, and a bunch of good players, whereas the Clippers have two top end. Um, players at the most important position is in the league pretty much and then they also have a third guy who is maybe one of the best offensive players in the league in Lou Williams who's just really bad on defense but is probably one of the best offensive players in the league so yeah they're dangerous very different makeup and I think um, to get back to a point Kyle was saying just about those numbers and team wins you know the Vegas projections are never going to be that high just because all of the money would be on the under. Like, you can't set the line that mm-hmm. high. So mm-hmm. that's that's part of it, too. The um, Pistons, actually, the best that they did in in the, like, going-to-work era was 64. Okay. Um, and, but 67 has been pretty consistent. Like, a te- like teams have gotten 67 wins. The Spurs in 2015-16, the um, Celtics in 85-86 that we have here, um, Bulls 91-92, 
Um, Lakers ninety nine two thousand. Um, I mean that's you know, a that's a not that many teams. And then the it's Warriors. A lot of yeah. years, and it's a lot of a, a lot of total teams are pulling from that pool. It's a pretty rare event. Even I think that for very very good teams. I think that Spurs team is a good comp because that was another team that had a lot of depth, but they also had Kawhi Leonard on that team. I think mm-hmm. so. Um, right. Yeah, and I also think maybe this is a question for you two, and then we can move on. Um, so is Kawhi, would Kawhi Leonard be considered a first-round talent in fantasy, or is he more of a, a top-end, second-round guy? Because, first round. Okay. okay. I was just going to well, say— Well, we're with, a 14-team league, too, so you'd have to have him in the first yeah. round. But I even think he's a first-rounder in a 10-team league. Probably the issue there, if you're going to move him out of the first round, is his, his per-game value is enormous. It's a load management question question in how many games he actually plays. Yeah, so I was just going to say, like, if Kawhi plays 70 games and this and this passing ability keeps up, you're getting, like, top-end oh first-round talent. Oh, my God. Yeah. Uh, maybe that you got at a lower <laughs> price. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that's if he actually plays part that of many games, you got a serious value. I think it's him. part of his strategy to stay on the court this season too, is to facilitate more and not have as much of the grind of you know yeah, going definitely. to the basket scoring. Uh, all right, moving on to the third place team in the Pacific last year, the Sacramento Kings. Um, one of the things that's been fascinating to me about them is how bad uh, Vladi Divac looked as the GM for years. Well, you know, as many years as he's been there. Now, the Kings look pretty good. Does it change your opinion of him as the GM? Kyle, I know you watch the Kings. What do you think? I don't know that I ever blamed the troubles that the Kings had on Divac in particular. Um, I think they're a tough market. To, you know, in the sense that it's tough for them to attract free agents. And it's easy for teams to draft poorly. I mean, I think we, we've, you know, we forget how hard it is for these outlying teams who draft well to consistently draft well. And most teams go through, you know, poor stretches um, like the Suns just did and like the Kings did for a long time before they got De'Aaron Fox. Um, and I don't know. I mean, maybe that's also just that I like him. I've always liked him. I liked him as a player and I've always wanted him to succeed. And I don't think I was ready to throw him under the bus for what I thought are pretty, um, expectable, <laughs> um, you know, yeah. circumstances, um, no, draft picks, you know, we, we see it every single year where picks don't work out, um, so it's not necessarily a bad GM. It can be bad luck, any number of other things, too. Um, you mentioned De'Aaron Fox. Did you see another jump this year, Kyle? I know you love him on your fantasy team, and he's a huge value. He will be a huge value regardless of whether he makes a jump this year, but do you see something else coming from his game? He had a rough first game of the season. Uh, he bounced right back the second night. Um, he's actually, at, at the moment that we're speaking right now, he's a game-time decision. Um and he, he, like most players, said he expects to play. But, you know, we'll see. It's early in the season. And um, I – that's a tough one. Um, the – oftentimes there's not linear development. Um, you know, uh, oftentimes it's not linear development within a season. Oftentimes it's not linear development from season to season. Uh, I could just as easily see him – Make the leap that you're talking about at some point in this season. 
But overall, over the course of a you know fantasy year, um, is the main way I'm thinking about him right now because he's on my fantasy team. I could see him not putting up as good a numbers as last year, but that at some point he becomes a better player, um, sort of a leveling up type player to what he was last year in the NBA. Yeah, yeah. You know, stats accrue is the trouble, and right. and sometimes you take it takes a valley for someone to sort of make that move and it can mean that the overall season won't look as spectacular but you know how he could be you know perhaps if he made it to the playoffs would be as a better player right well I I think the Kings are full of players who need to make that jump in a small way in a big way if they are going to reach the playoffs we saw Buddy Heald make a jump last year Um, Begley um, even though he's already Bagley's hurt, right? Yeah, he's yeah, hurt. He, um, he, he, you know, we were looking for something from him this year, but he's hurt, so we'll have to wait. I like that they picked up Deadman there. Um, does Bogdanovich make a jump? He looked really good in FIBA. Um, you know, so some things still have to happen here if the Kings are going to get into the playoffs and truly make a push. I think it's going to be really hard with Bagley out for four to six weeks. Um, they're really going to have to find some way to stay afloat here because West is too competitive. Of course, well, other is, teams are going to have injuries too at some point, and, you know, it's not going to, like, sink a ship potentially to have something like that if other teams do get injuries. But you're putting yourself, you know, behind the eight ball on this one. Yeah. I mean, I think – so I – the Kings are, like, a really interesting and exciting team – but I feel like overreaction Twitter is starting to overreact to them after two games. But they're sort of like, oh, no, the Kings are cursed because Bagley's injured. Um, and I think there were reports that Fox has some weird, not weird, has some hip injury. I don't know right. how long it'll keep him out. Maybe just a game or two, maybe a week, you know. Um, and, you know, they kind of overpaid Harrison Barnes. They probably didn't need to pay Trevor Ariza. They've got uh, Bogdanovich on the bench. Why is he on the bench? He's probably he's not happy on the bench. Yeah, he's not happy on the bench. He said he's not gonna sign the extension that they're offering him. I think talk about him as a trade candidate. So, so I mean, it's starting to feel like things could go wrong for them, and it's starting to feel like there's more momentum away from the playoffs than there is toward it. Um, I mean, I think it would be fair to say that there's questions about Luke Walton's ability to coach a team. Uh, I don't think he's a bad coach by any means, but have we really seen it in full? Um, what he can do as a coach. So, I mean, I think there's a lot of questions uh, with this Kings team. But in fairness to Bielitsa, I think he'll be a competent backup or uh, a replacement for Bagley if that's the way, that, the way that they decide to go. He can shoot the three well. He's like a surprisingly pretty good passer. Like I picked him up last season in fantasy, and he was giving you like fairly well-rounded stat lines when he got whenever he got the minutes. You know, he'll give you a few rebounds. He'll give you some assists. So he's a, a decent player. It looked like the Kings were going to do a, a, a kind of nicely balanced 4-5 thing with their starter, starting lineup and Deadman and Bagley and then have uh, Belitza and Giles in that second unit. And then, so they would have a shooter with each one of the bigs. That's thrown out w- with this injury. I can also see Holmes uh, slotting in for Bagley there, but, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's not clear yet. Yeah, Giles is also another trade candidate just because they have so many bigs now with De- Deadman and Bagley, especially since the, I think, 
common consensus is that Bagley's best position is at the five and not the yeah. four, and he's going to have to knock down the three pretty well in order to play the four. So, yeah, they, they have some overlapping talent on this team, and I guess the theory would be that the depth helps them win games. Uh, we've, we just have to wait and see if that's how it works out. Yeah, and for you uh, people looking at this from a fantasy perspective, watch that five spot. Um, could be some interesting developments when Giles gets over his injury and starts getting real minutes again. He could have some serious upside. Uh, any other last thoughts about the Kings here besides no matter what happens, they will continue to be my league pass team. Uh, one of my favorites as long as De'Aaron Fox is healthy. Agreed. All right. Let's move on to the other L.A. team. Kyle, this whole segment's nearly for you. Not really, but you love LeBron on the Lakers. We're talking about the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, I'm a bit stunned to see their roster construction. Roster, what did I say? To see their roster construction this year after last year's mess made me think that it wasn't all Magic's fault. Um, I hate their point guard and what they're doing with it. Um, pick any of that that you'd like to talk about. Let's talk about Rondo. Yeah, let's do that. You hate the you hate the point guard. Um, I think that I have a more optimistic view of this in part because I'm trying really hard to be more optimistic in life in general, and I'm trying to be more optimistic about the NBA. Um, I'm trying to think about ways uh, that we can think about the game, not just in terms of championships and winning, and think about it in terms of a lot of the things that make life meaningful. Development, um, personal, team-wise, player-wise, all of these things. And Rondo, to me, is an interesting case for this because he is he's really being panned in this role by about everybody. Um, yeah. That, you know, he's... he's washed up as a as a defender in the league um, and that takes away nearly anything that he would be able to do on the offensive end to or counteracts it in such a way that it makes it um, you know no longer feasible for him to be on the court and I still think that Rondo has something to offer and I think that um, a a good comparison or something that he should be aiming to do. And I think that in some way he is aiming to do is to be like Jason Kidd in his later years to shift from, um, being a ball dominant guard to a more of a role player, um, who can in stretches, you know, take up again those ball handling responsibilities as the team would need them, but can be a spot up shooter, um, from three, um, and the word is that Rondo's has still been putting in a lot of work on that. And uh, he already didn't shoot as bad um, as you might think last year. He was up to 36%, which, you know, anybody who thought of Rondo in three-pointers... Um, it's passable. ...usually thinks he's like in the 20s or something, and he's not. He He's a different player now. Now, that makes him more um, playable in today's NBA from the offensive end. I do hear people's critique of his, um, you know, or wariness of his, his um, role on defense. Um, they didn't have a ton to play for last year. Um, we haven't seen him this year. I'm willing to give him the benefit of the doubt until we do see him. I do know that the Lakers desperately need playmaking. LeBron seemed 
worn out in the first game Already. by by taking yeah. up um, that responsibility. Um, I think Jalen put it really well when he was talking about how when you're um, when you when you're a player of LeBron James's side and, size and you have to bring the ball up the court and you've got these small pesky guards like um, like uh, Patrick, Patrick Beverly yeah. on you, it means you got to get down low and you know that's putting a lots of strain on your on your quads and your hamstrings and you're and you're having to use like real effort like you're, it also just takes energy and yeah. attention like just pure focus and attention and how that wears when you have to do that the entire possession yeah and then i'll take up the mantle as a wannabe video coordinator person on the pod <laughs> like uh in the game last night against the jazz uh alex caruso emerged from some hellscape or some cave where Frank Vogel had locked him away for the the first game. Um, and he came out, and in the first two possessions that he was on the floor, I think it was the second half once they moved AD to the five, uh, LeBron either scored or assisted on like two or three straight possessions. And it was all because Caruso brought the ball up. LeBron caught the ball either at the top of the arc, the top of the three-point circle in a triple threat position. He didn't have to bring the ball up. He didn't have to like organize everyone to run the play. Or even better, Caruso brought the ball up. They threw it to LeBron in the in the post or the sort of post extended area. And and you don't want to be in that position with LeBron James. LeBron James is 6'8, 280 or 260, whatever he is. He's one jab step and you leaning an inch the wrong way from getting to the rim and dunking. And if you help, he's got the corner shooter right there. He's got the wing shooters. You don't you don't want the LeBron with the ball there is just too dangerous and and with a real point guard he's going to be able to get the ball there as much as he wants basically whereas if he has to bring the ball up it's going to be a lot harder for him to get to his spots and set up shop in the post and and on the block like that um and he also he started hitting some turnovers immediately after Caruso came in the game because he didn't have to back all the way into the turn back all the way into his turn his fall away shots from the three-point line so I mean I think you're completely right to say that Rondo's playmaking ability will be needed on this team, which is probably which is a fault of team construction to have to depend on Rondo in 2019. But I think I think what maybe what my argument is Rondo's um, playmaking ability will be most important in second units because separating Rondo and LeBron James is going to be important so that you don't want people helping off Rondo onto LeBron and AD and mucking it up. Whereas if you're in second second units, and if AD really, 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 really doesn't want to play want to play the five, which he kind of hedged a little bit on after the game, saying I'll do it if it if it means we're going to win. Well, let's say he doesn't want to play the five. Well, play the five in second units when the bigs are usually smaller and not going to beat you up so much. And with Rondo out there, they can push the pace. He can get early duck ins and post ups. I feel like that's the optimal use of Rajon Rondo. I mean, if he shoots a three as well as he did last year and shoots it on that many attempts or even ups the attempts, and he can probably function next to LeBron. But a lot of people talk about the fact that it's not only the percentage you shoot, but it's how much the defense respects you. And I think the defense just isn't going to respect Rondo. They're never going to, like, play up on him. He doesn't have that gravity. You know, we, we talk about, like, like Dwayne Wade was never a great three-point shooter, but he always had great gravity because he was such a good cutter, so no one wanted to leave him. Rondo doesn't have that, so he's going to have to take, like, there's just there's just going to be some games where he's going to need to take six to nine threes because the defense is just completely ignoring him, and he has to be willing to do that, and he typically doesn't, especially if he misses the first two. So there'll be problems, but I, I, I agree in some sense that, like, Rondo is still good at a fair amount of things in the NBA. I think the defensive questions are real, but, like, 
Rondo's going to push the pace. He's going to pass well. He's going to he's a great entry passer. That's going to help Anthony Davis a lot. He can he can uh, make that entry pass instead of like getting a bunch of steals like we saw in game 1 against the Clippers. So I'm not ready to like punt on the Lakers even though their offense did look kind of crazy um in the first half. I tweeted <laughs> yeah. that LeBron looked dusty in the first half. Like he looked he was like in chill mode. He was like playing he was really really passive and like passing a lot, but yeah, I, I'm not ready to punt on the Lakers by any means. They've got LeBron and Anthony Davis, and I think that's probably enough to take you like to the second round of the playoffs, even in the Western Conference. Yeah, your description, Jalen, of um, Caruso, I think is a good model of what Rondo could do, too, if they are going to play him in the first unit, which is to say that he takes the ball up the court and takes some of that pressure off LeBron. And I think that he's still an adequate enough ball handler to take up that. I think we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. And then um, he gives up the ball to LeBron when when they get into the offense, and he may not yet, ha- you know, be drawing any gravity. But if he does start to shoot six to eight three pointers a game, and he can get that percentage up to thirty eight, he will start to be on people's scouting reports. And mm-hmm. at that point, players will, you know, they will have just by dint of thinking about him before the game, maybe start to show him, you know, a little bit more respect out there. I mean, he's gonna have to earn it, but. I don't see it as being impossible. Yeah. So let's talk about AD and the four or the five. We He made a big pronouncement that he didn't want to play the five. He didn't want to bang with those big guys. It's about longevity. It's about being ready at the end of the year. Some of those sorts of things. When he made that strong statement, um, DeMarcus Cousins wasn't hurt yet. So I think that that needs to be taken into consideration here. And then we saw in that first game, AD at the four just didn't even look right like at it, the five it, you mean well in the first game oh where he was still oh, yeah, playing yeah, the yeah. four and they had mcgee and yeah. uh, howard at the five he didn't look right at the four mm-hmm. and we already saw them make some pretty big improvements by the second game from the caruso uh bringing the ball up that we already talked about and then ad moving to the four or rather to the five in the second half against utah entirely different team yeah i think probably the best offensive lineup Maybe there's a question between Avery Bradley and Alex Caruso, but I think Alex Caruso's a better a better ball handler. So I think I would say the Lakers' best offensive lineup in the regular season, based on what I've seen in these first two games, is going to be Caruso, Danny Green, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, and Troy Daniels will be at like the three or the two. Danny Green and LeBron James are sort of interchangeable. Danny Green can guard the two or the three. LeBron can guard the three or the four. So um, it's fine. Troy Daniels will will hide him on the other team's weakest wing player, probably their two their two guard. Um, so you know you could also make an argument for Jared Dudley if you want to play uh, Jared Dudley at the four or Jared Dudley be the small ball five. But I think those are going to be their best offensive lineups, and it's obviously going to depend on matchup. Maybe if the other team has two bigs out there, and uh, then you put Dwight out there. But I think. Their ideal best offensive lineup is going to have more shooters in it. That's Danny Green. Uh, that's Troy Daniels. That's Jared Dudley. Those are, like, I think the best shooters on the team. Quinn Cook is a solid shooter, but he has other deficiencies. Contavious Caldwell-Pope, I think, made one shot in the first two games. He's struggling. So I think those are their best offensive lineups. And in the regular season, I think the offense is going to be more important than the defense, um, which kind of brings me to the point that there's talk that Andre Iguodala will wind up on this team. So if that's the case, then you slot Andre Iguodala into that Troy Daniels spot, and right. maybe you you lose some shooting, but what you gain in defense is going to matter a lot more. And also sort of tertiary and secondary playmaking is going to be great from Iguodala. So 
he fits perfectly with this team, and if the Lakers wind up getting him in a buyout, they'll be even more dangerous in the playoffs. My last question for the Lakers, we've been talking about the lineups, the awkwardness of some of the lineups, how this is all going to fit together. They have a couple load management issues, too, for both LeBron and AD especially. How does that affect their playoff chances here? I mean, I think that they might want to manage these guys, and it's smart, too, considering LeBron's age and Anthony Davis's injury history, but neither one of them really played a full season last year. LeBron, due to injury, he sat out a long time, and then Anthony Davis, due to the trade request. So I think both of these guys kind of have something to prove this year, and they want to come out and play hard and play a lot of minutes, you know, within reason. They want to be smart about it. Um, and we didn't really mention Kyle Kuzma at all. I think he's going to be in the six man of the year conversation. I think he's going to be a scorer off the bench and whether or not he winds up in their closing lineups or their best lineups is going to all be dependent on matchup and his ability to play defense and also knock down threes because his first year, I think he shot the three much better than he did in year two. So he's going to have to get back to that year one percentage and he's going to have to show a lot more on defense to play, uh, in the most high leverage situations. Can I add just one thing yeah, to course. the Lakers discussion? I So Taylor Horton Tucker was just cleared for practice yesterday. And I know that you can't really expect too much out of a rookie, um, especially on a team with such high expectations. But he's a really interesting player um, for a team that needs a wing defender. Um, he's only six foot four, but he has a seven foot one wingspan. Um, which I think, you know, they're, we've mentioned that both Danny Green and LeBron can um, transition up um, a position. Um, and I still don't think that Danny Green is, is the it's, – it's not the best use of, it, of Danny Green to put him up a position and have him guarding um, strong players like Kawhi, um, although he did, he did guard him in the first game and he still had actually great shooting, so it wasn't like it was wearing him down yet. But – you can imagine that, you know, being tasked with that role over and over, um, you know, wearing him down over the course of a season. And yeah. I think I've been interested in, in um, Horton Tucker for a while um, to see what they would do with him. I mean, I don't know when we'll expect him to be on the court, if at all, really this year. Um, but I want to see what he can do. Yeah, yeah. All right, moving on to our last team and our last division of these previews, the Phoenix Suns, 19-63 and 63 last season. I think they're going to do better than that. I think there's a new direction for the rebuild with Monty Williams and James Jones coming in. Um, they actually have a real point guard, Ricky Rubio now, even though he's hurt. Um, what I'm wondering is, does this Phoenix Sun core, which I'm considering Booker, Ayton, Oubre, maybe Bridges thrown in there, does that core ever get good enough to compete? For a playoff spot? That I could go for. I mean, I don't think that they're... Not at the highest end, but a playoff spot? That That's where I would put it. Yeah, I mean, that's a good question. I think I'd tend to agree, so... Um, I'm really like selling Ben Taylor's uh, products this week, but uh, Ben Taylor has a great video breakdown of Devin Booker, and I think he also has one on Donovan Mitchell, and those two players are very similar to me. Um, I think 
I think right now you would say Mitchell is a player that helps winning more because I think he has a better defensive upside. And we've seen him play on good teams, and like we've seen him have an impact in the playoffs where we haven't seen that from Devin Booker. But I pair them together in this conversation because they're both offensive-minded guys who are score-first guys, who are the best uh, offensive players on their respective teams. But, you know, they don't either have enough playmaking or enough uh, efficiency in order to be elite-level offensive players in this league to drag their teams to the playoffs the way we've seen players like LeBron or even Carmelo Anthony in his youth drag teams and get in the playoffs consistently consistently players like Dwayne Wade uh, get his teams uh, to the playoffs consistently so you have to kind of marry offensive ability with efficiency and also playmaking helping your teammates and so I think there's real questions about that for both those players. And since we're talking about Devin Booker, I think he's off to a good start playmaking-wise this season. I think he has five assists in both games. So it seems like even with Rubio there, his playmaking ability, I think, took a small jump by just by having to play point guard basically all last year because they had no right. real other options. And maybe we're seeing the returns on that this year. So It's one of the suggestions I've seen is that with Rubio there, uh, Booker will have less usage but higher efficiency. So he could become exactly the kind of player you're talking about. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's a real question. And I don't really expect the Suns to... I don't expect the Suns to make the playoffs this year, but they did look good in their first game, and they did go, um, I think it was either, yeah, it was a very close game that they came back on with the with the Denver Nuggets last night. Um, so they're, they, they're showing well in the early going. I think they routed the Kings in game one. So, yeah. so yeah. they're showing well. They have more competent pieces, and I think – uh, just having competent NBA players helps a lot. You know, when you're not playing guys who are maybe G League guys or fringe NBA talent, you know, just having competent guys who aren't going to mess up so much helps in, in, in more ways than I think we, we think when we look at these teams. So, yeah. Yeah, it, it, it probably won't be this year for the playoffs, um, fairly obviously, and also because Aiton is serving that 25-game suspension. But um, I do I was, see some nice speaking, feature here. I was speaking long-term, too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which I think may lead – no, but but I mean long-term even for, for playoffs being a ceiling. I, I'm not a believer that – Aiton's game lends it well. I think things would have to change in the rules of the NBA again for a player like Aiton to be because it's because of how much he's going to get paid. I actually think he's going to be such a good player that he's going to get paid like a star, superstar. And then once you give that money to a player like that, you really limit what you can put around them. And I just think that that's a, a, a really kind of dangerous situation because he doesn't he he's he's not a facilitator he doesn't really pass like in in a in an elite way for a center even right like a like a carl towns or or like an anthony davis and he doesn't shoot threes at all and i just but i think he's gonna get paid and i think that 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 like puts a cap on them ever having having like a championship level team well, I think the other issue here, too, though, with Aiton is that we don't really know what he can be yet. He hasn't played with a real point guard yet, and we're not going to see him do that for at least 25 games. So, like, there could be something else there that we just haven't had the chance to see, too. So, like, the shooting, yeah, I don't expect that to ever come, but maybe there's something else there in his game. I mean, I think the good thing for the Suns about Aiton is that 
he's under contract for two more years, right? So he's under yeah. contract, obviously, for this year, 2021, uh, 2020, 2021, and uh, 2021, 2022. Um, so they're they're probably going to have an opportunity to take a small step forward and to make these smaller right decisions before he ever comes up for them having to pay him. Uh, so, like, for example, Tyler Johnson's going to be a free agent this summer. Um, I think Sarich is either, yeah, Sarich is going to be a free agent this summer. Uh, I think they recently inked a new deal with Ubre, so he's under contract yeah. next year. So I feel like those decisions are going to impact uh, just their overall team building. But I feel like, yeah, we might – we should know more about their ability to make the playoffs before his contract even comes off the books before Definitely. he's even a free agent. Well, no, now, I don't know half. now. I don't know when they have to extend him cause he's on a rookie contract. So maybe the extension date is a little earlier, but yeah, that's what I would say. Yeah. I mean, just to be clear, I'm definitely saying that they can make the playoffs with Aiton as, you know, a best or second best player to Devin Booker. Right. Um, I'm saying that if you end up having to pay Aiton like a superstar and I think a max contract for his level, which, which, I, which I think they're going to, I think that they're going to limit what they can do. And I think that they'll, they'll top out at like a six seed or something like that. Yeah, no, that's a fair. I mean, what we're talking about well, is maybe a little more, but like Ben Simmons, five years, 170, like that's what they're going to be paying or maybe a little more if the cap keeps going up. Although it might go down after all the yeah China situation. So, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, I don't know that there's a lot more to say about the Phoenix Suns. They were 28th offensive uh, rating last year, 29th defensive rating. I bet they do better on both counts. Um, One fantasy thought for any of you carrying Aiton or any of you who need a center, if you haven't picked up Aaron Baines or Frank Kaminsky, you probably should go look at your wire right now and do one of those things depending on your build. Um, any last thoughts on the Phoenix Suns? Nope, nothing else to say about the Phoenix Suns. That's our wrap on the division previews. We are turning off the phantom power in just a minute, and we will be back next week with a really completely different format. Maybe? I don't know. We'll see. All right, uh, that's Shot Tower. We're turning off the phantom power. Cheers. That was pretty good, right? I feel all right.